was sent by Bill Clinton to try to get some information on UFOs, was not able to, has recently said that one of his biggest disappointments was not being able to get information out on UFO files. How important is he in this picture? Well, this is where it really gets interesting, uh, because all we know about Hillary is that in, uh, in the, in, from that period 1993 to 1996, uh, she was involved with uh, Lawrence Rockefeller in discussing an initiative to have UFOs declassified. And uh, she involved, or uh, Bill Clinton involved, John Podesta, who at the time was working for the administration, in trying to have national security files more easily declassified through um, an executive order 12958, which was basically an attempt by the Clinton administration to overhaul the way in which uh, national security files were being uh, unnecessarily classified. And so this was uh, an initiative that uh, Rockefeller thought could be taken advantage of in terms of having UFOs uh, declassified, that if, if th- that executive order was applied to UFO files, then it might be able to prize loose some of the information. So Podesta was involved in that, and uh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton were all involved in, uh, in, in that effort to try to have UFO files uh, declassified. And uh, the person who really uh, raises a lot of interest in terms of what Bill Clinton's attitude is on the UFO files is uh, Webster Hubble, who in his uh, memoirs, uh, Friends in High Places, basically referred to being um, asked by President Clinton to go over to the Department of Justice and to find out what he could in terms of two questions. One, what is it about UFOs? And two, what happened to Kennedy, the assassination? That's right. And so those are two questions that Hubble tried to find answers to while he was at the Department of Justice. He was, he was the number three in the hierarchy, so he was very senior. But even uh, despite having all the security classifications and basically the go-ahead from uh, President Clinton himself, he couldn't find answers to those two questions. So that does really document that Bill Clinton himself, in addition to Hillary Clinton, did have an interest in classified UFO files and wanted to get their hands on it. You must be in Hawaii. I hear cookie frogs in the background. <laughs> We are indeed in, in the uh-huh. hill. They are they are some of the most lovable creatures, aren't they? They are very loud. <laughs> I love it. So, would this hurt Hillary if she gets the nomination? Because I don't think she's going to bring it up during the campaign to get the nomination. But let's assume she does get the nomination. Will it hurt or help her? I mean, what would her advisors say? Um, on one hand. Let's make this great assumption that the UFO story is indeed real, Michael, as you believe and I believe in so many other people. Would that make her look like a champion, a hero to the American people if she discloses? Or would it backfire and would people say, come on, how can you take her seriously? She's talking about UFOs when ISIS is beheading people. How will that play out? Well, that's... uh critical in terms of John Podesta's involvement in this. He's the campaign manager and he's very familiar with the UFO issue. And so I'm sure that it will only be raised by the Clinton administration in a way that would basically basically enhance her reputation. And I think it would be done in a way of 
Hillary being a champion for the truth. You know, in that two-minute advertisement uh, that she released on Sunday, um, she basically showed that she was a champion for the common man. And I think this, this, is, uh, this is kind of falls in line with that, that the common person wants to know what's, what's really going on on the UFO issue. And they've been stonewalled uh, for decades. But I think uh, Hillary, in terms of this issue being something that might get traction in the election campaign, will probably get ahead of it um, in terms of like having uh, some reporters ask questions or things being leaked to basically make this an election issue. Uh, and I think Podesta has already started that. I mean, his uh, tweet on February 13, where he basically said, my biggest failure after 2014 was in not uh, having uh, UFO files disclosed. I mean, he's already started the ball rolling. I mean, here he's made it a serious policy issue. Here you have uh, someone who was serving President Obama as counsellor on the environment and energy, basically trying to get his hands on information that was pertinent to his portfolio and was denied access. And so here he's basically saying that this was the, the you know, the, the top of his uh, of his list of ten accomplishments or non accomplishments during his uh, twelve months or so with the Obama administration, so he's already kind of put it on the map that this is an issue uh, that's important that has serious uh, policy implications, and it's something that the American people have a right to know about. And so I think that he will package any kind of um, way in which Hillary will uh, raise this issue in a, in a manner that will enhance her reputation, unlike uh, Dennis Kucinich, who in the debates in 2008 was uh, asked a question about uh, UFOs, and he was kind of made to look foolish. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, Obama was on the stage as well, and, um, and he kind of deflated. the question and again making Obama uh, making Kucinich look foolish but interestingly uh, Hillary wasn't asked the question as I said uh, this was that was a time when there really wasn't much press interest in uh, this uh, in the documents that uh, Hillary is has been interested or trying to get her, trying to get UFO files declassified but but that's changed uh, newspapers are interested so I think the uh, Podesta running the campaign is definitely going to make an effort to put Hillary in front of this issue and make it out that she's a champion for the common man in terms of getting this kind of information declassified. We have always believed, Michael, that most presidents are kept in the dark, that they don't know, truly know, about the UFO issue at all. So why, why do we think that Hillary would be the one to give the, get the information out, where maybe they've kept her in the dark as well? Well, that's, that's a very interesting um, question, George. I mean, has she been kept in the dark, or has she just been told to keep her mouth shut? I mean, there's a very big difference. Sure. Uh, I, I, th I think that she probably knows, um, and, and I think uh, we can look at uh, what President Obama himself said on the Jimmy Kim Kimmel show just uh, a month ago where he basically was asked a series of questions by Jimmy Kimmel in terms of uh, UFOs, extraterrestrial life, and Obama kind of joked his way through a series of answers, but his body language and the context of his language suggested that he was being serious, that, uh, that presidents are tightly controlled um, in terms of releasing this information and that they're instructed to lie, and that he, he literally 
can't tell the public, not because he doesn't know, but because he does know, but he's under instructions uh, not to tell the public. So that is the first time a United States president has publicly said that there is some force or some shadow government entity or someone basically preventing presidents from telling what they know on this topic and that aliens actually play a role in the cover-up. And by Obama admitting that, and I think that it's almost certain that Clinton himself also was commanded um, not to tell what he knew. And in fact, that was one of the questions that um, uh, Obama basically parried. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel said, well, President Clinton said he didn't know anything about the, the UFO issue and Area 51, and, and, and Obama said, well, you know, that's what we're all told to say. So basically he's more or less admitting that Clinton knew what was really going on, but he was basically under orders not to tell what's really going on. So I think uh, Hillary knows, and I think it's all about timing. It's all about finding the right moment when this kind of information can become an election um, issue because eventually it will. I mean, it's destined at some point, whether it's this election campaign or in, in another four years or whenever, that eventually this will become a hot policy issue for some campaign. And I think the signs are there that it's going to happen for the 2016 election cycle. I think had Lawrence Rockefeller still been alive, and he, of course, was the multi-multi-millionaire, maybe into the billions for him personally, uh, who wanted UFO information and disclosure. And he was working with Hillary to try to get more information. Uh, I think he had given her a book uh, that we keep seeing a tight shot taken of her holding it on UFOs. I found that to be fascinating. But had he still been alive, Michael... He might have been able to convince her to get get the information. What do you think? Well, I think he was definitely a very influential person, and uh, he used all his resources and influence to try and get the Clinton administration to move forward on this issue, but was unsuccessful at that time. But I think that was uh, really, we're talking about 20 years ago, things have changed dramatically. Since that time, we've had literally hundreds of whistleblowers that have come forward and i think that the only reason these whistleblowers have been allowed to come forward to talk about their experiences what they saw is because there are powerful forces within the hierarchy within the secret government itself or the shadow government basically running the whole extraterrestrial ufo issue that this information needs to be coming out that the american public needs to be prepared and, but it needs to be done in a way that maintains plausible deniability. So you can have a lot of whistleblowers coming forward without documentation to support their, their claims, but they get the information out. Even though they can't prove it, the information is out there. So those that want to learn the truth can hear it firsthand from a whole long line of whistleblowers. Those that aren't ready for the truth can simply say, well, there's no proof for any of this. It's just people making it up and trying to make some quick dollars and you know, just kind of forget the whole thing and go back to the Super Bowl type thing. And talking about whistleblowers, isn't there somebody out there who has uh, looked at five different space programs, secret space programs? Is there, a, is there this one person claiming this? Yes, there is. Uh, he is someone that came forward in September and October of uh, 2014 on um, 
the Project Avalon Forum. Uh, he did some interviews, and now uh, he's moved over to another forum. He's done some interviews with David Wilcock, who's going to be releasing them soon. Mm -hmm. He's done. Uh, he's responded to some questions, a series of questions that I've been sending him uh, with being in communication, and I'm actually just now. I'm just um, putting the finishing touches on another series of questions, which really are mind-boggling in terms of the amount of information he has on the on the secret space programs, and the the kind of uh, security environment that exists to keep the secrecy on these programs. So he's definitely one of the most important whistleblowers ever to come forward, just because of the sheer volume of information he has on not just one secret space program, but but five secret space programs that are related to our contemporary human society and another five to seven secret space programs that are related to ancient Earth civilizations. And so that's, that's truly something remarkable. And actually, I have a really fascinating story to share, uh, George, about sure. one of those secret, um, ancient secret space programs that uh, kind of validates what uh, Corey, that's the first name of the whistleblower, um, has said about these uh, ancient secret space programs. What took this whistleblower so long to come forward? Well, what's uh, interesting is that I think it's just been a shift, a shift in, um, in, in the environment. Um, one of the, well, the, the first whistleblower that I got involved in in a, in a heavy way in terms of the secret space program is Randy Kramer, also known as Captain K. And he came out in April of 2014. We did a series of five interviews that we put out um, on the internet through my EXO uh, News TV um, YouTube channel. And he talked about his involvement in the secret space program. And he talked about spending 17 years on Mars and then three years on a secret space uh, program, basically um, an aircraft or a spacecraft carrier, if you like, uh, called the USS Nautilus, and that he flew uh, anti-gravity um, vehicles from this space carrier for three years. And so he came forward in, in April of, of 2014, and what was interesting about him was that he said that, you know, strictly speaking, he's not a whistleblower because he has been authorised to reveal this information by his military superiors, that his superiors... A, a full bird colonel and a brigadier general in um, in a branch of the U.S. Marine Corps called the Secret uh, Secret uh, Service uh, that they are ordering him to tell all that he knows about what's really going on, and apparently uh, the U.S. Marine Corps uh, actually I think it's called the Special Section that's the covert branch of it according to uh, Randy Kramer uh, they were given a special set of orders by President Eisenhower back in 1953 that if the covert space programs ever uh, became too corrupt or became basically um, too illegal in their activities that uh, the U.S. Marine Corps were authorized to disclose the truth. So according to uh, Captain Kramer, uh, that is what he is doing. He's come forward, and it's not surprising that uh, he came forward in April of 2014, and then five, six months later, you have Corey coming forward, um, just giving more information, more detail. But the the amount of overlap between the two truly is astounding in terms of uh, the, you know the, the the 20 years that they spent on these secret space programs, 
how they were taken up to the moon at a, at a secret colony or a secret base called the Lunar Operations Command and then went off to their respective tour of duties for 20 years and then brought back and time and age regressed back to the same time when they left the Earth. We're going to talk more about this, Michael, with you, including, of course, something to do with the ancient Mayans next. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. We're with Dr. Michael Sala. We'll take calls with Michael next hour. Michael, tell us a little bit about the whistleblower and what he had to say about the ancient Mayans. What was that? Well, he said that basically there is this race of uh, ancient Mayans with their own secret space program who helped him uh, remove the effects of traumatic mind control that was uh, used on him uh, during his uh, training and during his uh, uh, covert service with the uh, various secret space programs that he was working on. And this Mayan group, he described them in terms of being a a very kind of spiritual race, Uh, basically good guys are here to help humanity. And they also introduced him to a group of blue avians. Uh, This is a species of extraterrestrials who are approximately eight foot tall and have kind of like bird-like features, kind of like the way in which uh, ancient Egyptian iconography uh, represents some of the ancient gods like Horus with the kind of falcon head. So there was this uh, race called the Blue Avians that, uh, according to Corey, have actually placed our entire solar system under a kind of quarantine where Mm. no secret space program, uh, no extraterrestrial civilization can come in and out of this uh, quarantine because basically they're here to kind of like um, make sure that a series of uh, major events go forward without any major interruption. And these major events concern the truth coming out about many aspects of our history, of our secret history, and of course, uh, extraterrestrial visitation. So if what Corey is saying is true, then I think we are very likely to experience in in the next uh, few years uh, really profound changes and um, an amount of information coming forward. And I had an experience in uh, Mexico back in 2010, George, that really kind of uh, validates or has been validated by what Corey actually experienced in terms of this Mayan civilization. It's an experience that I haven't ever shared before simply because no one else ever talked about uh, a Mayan civilization with uh, space technology uh, that is operating at the moment. And, um, and basically one of the kind of uh, rules that I've followed in terms of my exopolitics research is to always have at least two independent sources verifying uh, a particular event or an extraterrestrial race. And so with Corey's testimony, I had my second source verifying or at least pointing to an existence of a Mayan extraterrestrial species or a Mayan ancient civilization that actually um, began on Earth but transplanted itself to other worlds and other moons and now kind of operates like an extraterrestrial civilization but it's actually an ancient Mayan um, civilization that has uh, off-planet bases and and continues to operate on the Earth. But uh, I have a story to share about that. Go ahead, share it with us. Well, um, basically in 2010 I was invited to go to Mexico to give a presentation at Jaime Musson's uh, uh, World UFO Summit and uh, the day before I left, uh, a, a filling 
fell out of my tooth. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, here I am going to go to Mexico, and, I'll, and I'll, I have to go to a dentist, but I don't have time to do it here. I don't have time to see my dentist, so I'll have to find a dentist in Mexico. So the, here I am in Mexico now, Mexico City, um, preparing for my presentation, thinking, okay, I need to find a dentist. Where can I find a dentist? So I go to lunch, and... Um, um, there aren't many people there and I'm having difficulty with the waiter in terms of like him translating uh, you know, some of the items on the menu and someone kind of uh, starts helping out uh, from an adjacent table. He starts uh, telling me what the waiter is telling him and, I'm, and he translates for me so I, I get to order the meal that I want. And I tell him, why don't you come over and join me? So he comes over and join me and I ask him, well, you know, what do you do? What's your profession? And he says, well, he's a dentist. So I thought, wow, that's interesting. I thought, wow, this, is, this, this guy is kind of an answer to my prayers. I need a dentist. I need some help. But as, it began, but as he began talking, uh, the help he was going to give me was uh, in, in a very different way to what I thought. He was attending the conference himself. And he said that he had a friend who's a contactee who has been having contacts with a group of extraterrestrials that are basically the descendants of the ancient Mayans. And so he got me to um, go and meet with his friend who was an engineer and I'll just tell you his first name his first name is Carlos in Mexico City and uh, so we meet and he goes on to tell me about his experiences with this ancient Mayan race um, in terms of um, then helping protect humanity from more aggressive, more aggressive extraterrestrials. And he says that um, he was trained by these Mayans to fly some of their spacecraft and that he sometimes goes up and, as a pilot to help the Mayans in their space war against an aggressive group of race, uh, races called the Reptilians. Hmm. And so he's telling me all of this and uh, about how... Uh, there's also a school that he's established for basically training people how to become space pilots with this ancient Mayan civilization. So he's telling me all about this and giving me descriptions of the, of yeah. the ships and draws them and shows me the ancient Mayan la uh, language and so forth. And then he says, well, um, that he feels that this is something that I... He wanted to make that offer to me, that I could also undergo that training to be a space pilot for this ancient Mayan civilization. Well, you know, that was really interesting to me at the time, because <laughs> earlier I, I actually had applied to be an, uh, an Air Force pilot uh, with the Royal Australian Air Force. Uh, and was uh, I was offered the, a navigator position, but not the Air Force, um, but not a pilot's position, so I turned it down. Theory is offering me um, training to be a pilot with a secret Mayan space fleet. Uh, this is back in 2010, and, you know, I thought about it, and I think, well, look, you know, I've done all these years of training in diplomacy. Really, I've got my heart set on being a yeah. diplomat and seeking uh, solutions to problems and not basically being a pilot, being part of this kind of uh, secret space war. Did, so, did you um, think it was real? It was a real uh, approach to you? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, okay. he, he was a, he's an engineer, and, uh, and as I said, his, his associate was a dentist. So these were two professionals. And one of the things that I've learned about professionals is that these are not people that are going to kind of like, uh, you know, play practical jokes on you for, you know, for any extent of time. I mean, you know, if, if, you, know you can have your practical joke, jokers, but eventually they tell you the jokes, you know, you know, that they've been playing a joke on you. But no, he was, he was deadly serious. And we've maintained contact over the years. And he actually came and visited me in Hawaii with his associate, 
and basically filled me in on, on what the secret space program or the main secret space program has been doing. Um, so that was something that I experienced and I just kind of like thought, well, I'm not going to talk about this because no one else has ever mentioned a Mayan uh, civilization that has uh, advanced space technologies and continues to exist and operates off world and so forth. So I just kept it quiet. So I was truly shocked when I read the revelations or uh, Corey's answers to my last set of questions to him about the secret space programs that he's been working on. He talked about this ancient Mayan civilization that basically helped him and helped connect him with the blue avians. And so I was really that kind of like really astounded me because this was the confirmation I, I had been looking for for five years now that there actually does exist a secret space program run by ancient Mayans who have off-planet bases and that they are operating in in these space wars that have kind of like undeclared at the moment. And, uh, you know, Corey's revelations and the details he goes into are, are truly astounding. But the fact that he was able to name a, a group of... Uh, aliens or a ancient civilization that actually I was familiar with because I had, you know, they, they had attempted to recruit me through one of their representatives. Um, I knew that this was not information that um, you know, many people had, and the fact that Corey had it basically helped me in my kind of due diligence on Corey. And combined with the, the amount of similarities I found in his testimony and Captain Kramer's testimony, I, I really now have reached a position where I think uh, Corey is genuine, that he really is uh, an asset from a number of secret space programs that have been running on Earth uh, for, for at least um, since the 1970s, and that he has given us detailed information on, on five of these uh, Earth-based space programs that are relevant to our contemporary society and also between five to seven ancient civilizations as well as visiting extraterrestrial civilizations. So it's a very complex picture and I discuss it in uh, two articles that are already on my website. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be putting up another two articles um, basically outlining Corey's responses and, and why I think Corey is, is genuine. Well, only you will find out, that's for sure, Michael. You're one of the best when it comes to this. Well, it takes years of research and basically keeping a database on all of these different stories, and sometimes you hear something and you can't prove it, but you just hold on to it, and eventually something else comes up and it corroborates what you, what you knew, and because no one else knew it, then you know, that's a pretty good sign that uh, whoever told you that extra piece of information, like Corey did with the ancient Mayans, um, really is the real deal. About a month or so ago, we had Dr. Sergio Canavero on, the Italian doctor who wants to perform a head transplant on an individual. And you you see some kind of correlation here with that. What is that? Well, again, it's, it's one of these things that uh, you hear and um, you, you wonder whether you heard it right. Um, in this case, um, Randy Kramer, Captain K, um, put out... Um, two newsletters, and he's, in his second newsletter, he said he's describing uh, some new equipment that um, he was given uh, while he was serving on Mars with the Mars Defense Force. He was there for 17 years, he claims. And he said this new equipment uh, was basically like a, a rocket launcher, 
and you had to carry it on your back. And um, it could be something that could be detonated um, psychically and that the extraterrestrials on Mars or the indigenous Martians, uh, which he described as reptilians and insectoids, had uh, strong psionic abilities. And so they could detonate these things psionically. And he says that, well, when, when they did that, people's heads were blown off because you know, the, the way in which they positioned this, uh, this, this rocket launcher behind their back, their heads were blown off. And he, and he said uh, that he had his head blown off twice that way. Jeez. Now, when I read that, I thought, there must be a mistake. I mean, you know, no one can have their head blown off and, and, and live to talk about it. You know, I thought, so I contacted him, uh, um, you know, tried to get in touch with him by email, didn't hear back for a few weeks. And, um, and then I saw the story uh, about this Russian um, person suffering um, this kind of muscle-wasting uh, disorder and how he's going to be having a head transplant by uh, Sergio Canaveral. And I thought, well, that's fascinating that uh, this, this kind of surgical technique not only exists, but it actually is going to be used for the very first time. And, and you know, being familiar with the way in which classified programs work, I, I know that anything that any pioneering technique or technology that emerges in the white world of kind of open source literatures... Um, Basically, that's very old technology. That the classified uh, world or the or the black world of classified technologies is, is probably three decades ahead. So when I saw um, this uh, kind of uh, RT news story about this Russian uh, man gonna, who was going to be having this head body transplant uh, by uh, Sergio Canavero, I thought, wow, this is this is confirmation that what Randy Kramer said happened to him is actually possible. So I phoned Randy and I said, you know, hey, this this um, you know, I read this in your newsletter. You know, did this really happen? Was your head blown off? And he said, yes, it was blown off twice. And I said, well, what what was it like? What happened? He said, well, you know, basically it was like darkness. And next thing I know. Um, you know, I'm waking up in, in the medical facility uh, with my, um, in, in my body again, with my head attached to my new body. But he said that in the uh, secret space program, all assets like him, uh, because they are very highly trained and valued, they have cloned replicas of them available. So in case there's any need in terms of body or sorry, like organ transplants or anything like that, they have these cloned replicas available. So basically he said that what they did was that uh, once his head was blown off, they basically evacuated him to a medical facility and basically reattached his head to the uh, torso, I guess, or the, you know, the, the body of one of his clones. And um, he woke up and basically, huh. after a, little bit, a few days of recuperation, went back to service. It's an amazing story. Well, it's an incredible story. I mean, the, when you listen to these uh, secret space program whistleblowers, the, the, the kind of information they have is, is mind-boggling. And, you know, when you hear them say, well, uh, we do these 20-year tour of duties, and then we're age-regressed and time-regressed back to the time we first... Um, set off to uh, begin this, this journey or this uh, service, it, it's, it, you've got to wrap your mind around that. It's like, well, how in the world can someone be age regressed and time regressed back 20 years and basically relive 20 years? How can that happen? Well, apparently this is the nature of the technology that exists in the secret space program. 
Michael, let's talk a little bit, if we can, uh, until we get to the top of the hour, about what the Vatican is doing about all of this. Well, the, the Vatican, I think, is, is a very clever player on this issue of extraterrestrial disclosure and the discovery of extraterrestrial life. Um, the, the Vatican Intelligence Service, uh, from the very beginning, was in, very heavily involved uh, with the CIA um, in terms of covering up the truth about extraterrestrial life, because um, I'm sure your listeners are aware of the fact that uh, the, the Vatican has the world's oldest and largest intelligence network. I mean, there's, what, over 1.3 billion Catholics around the world. So what, what happens in confession, stays in confession? Well, not, not quite right. I mean, uh, if the father or the priest hears something, then he re- relays it on to the, to the bishop and on the bishop onwards. And, and so basically the, the Vatican has an intelligence network second to none. And the Vatican, from the very beginning, has been involved in covering up this issue on extraterrestrial life. And I think that over the last, uh, basically, five years, the Vatican has been gradually taking a more open position about extraterrestrial life, preparing the public uh, for the eventual discovery of extraterrestrial life. And I think that that's the way that they've chosen to kind of position themselves at the lead of of this issue of extraterrestrial life. Because I, I know that uh, they are very aware of all of these secret space programs and the information that is being leaked and that eventually disclosure is going to happen and when it happens i believe the vatican wants to be positioned to take full advantage of that to basically reassert itself as a very important institution um, on the planet well they're making inroads aren't they well, they certainly are. I mean, they, they have been organizing um, astrobiology conferences, um, they, they, the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, um, and, the, and the Pope has been authorizing all of this to, to move forward. And in these astrobiology conferences, they've been getting uh, their leading astronomers to basically talk about the implications in terms of uh, the sociological and the theological implications of extraterrestrial life. And also, uh, their, their astronomers have been attending NASA conferences. The most recent was in uh, September at the um, Library of Congress uh, that was jointly organized by the Library of Congress and NASA, where uh, one, of the, the pre- one of the priests, uh, Brother Guy Consilmanio, actually went and discussed the topic of baptizing extraterrestrials. Now, you have to ask yourself, George, well, why in the world would NASA and the Library of Congress have a Vatican astronomer come and talk about uh, baptizing aliens. I mean, what do they know that we don't? I, I think um, this is a very clever way in which uh, the Vatican can actually uh, present itself in terms of being very open and sympathetic to this information concerning extraterrestrial life and uh, really get out there in terms of uh, making theological statements such as, well, uh, there's nothing incompatible with a belief in extraterrestrial life in terms of, um, in terms of uh, the, the Bible, that there's nothing wrong in believing extraterrestrials can be baptized into the Catholic faith, and, and why actually extraterrestrials could be baptized, that, uh, that, that the theology can be kind of um, interpreted in a way whereby Jesus um, still is unique, not only to the earth, but is unique to the solar system. Oh, no, that's to the true, Michael. Union. That is true. Michael Sala with us, and we'll be back with your phone calls with him next on Coast to Coast AM. 
Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Dr. Michael Sala with us, of course, and your phone calls. Michael, in your opinion, who is stepping up to the front to try to get disclosure for us? Who's the who's the person who's really out in the lead, if there is one? Well, that's the beauty of what is happening now, George. I think it truly is just an awakening, a mass consciousness awakening here that is happening. Uh, people are really more open than ever to information concerning extraterrestrial life. Uh, you know, the mass media is now asking questions about various politicians and their involvement in issues concerning UFOs. You have major institutions like the Vatican now getting involved. The scientific community as well has it's actually undergone a revolution with the uh, discovery, the confirmed existence of exoplanets. I mean, there really has been a scientific revolution now. Previously, uh, Discussing extraterrestrial life was seen to be uh, speculative uh, because there was no proof, no firm scientific proof that there were other planets in other solar systems. As ridiculous as that sounds, uh, scientists were not prepared to speculate about extraterrestrial life. Well, that's changed with exoplanets now being confirmed to exist. Um, and so now scientists say that uh, extraterrestrial life is inevitable, that it's going to be found sometime. It's all a question of when. Is it going to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Now, um, you know, so that's just part of the, the kind of consciousness shift we've seen where whole sectors of society are now discussing extraterrestrial life, are open to the question that uh, there, there may be the discovery soon or maybe there's been a, dis, uh, a covering up of the evidence. So people are much more open to it. So I don't think there's any one person or any one group behind it all. It's just, the, you know, kind of like the rising tide lifts all boats. It's like we're, we're all the boats. We're all being lifted. Michael, since you've been doing this and you've been doing it for a number of years, is this the first time you think we are at its closest ebb to getting disclosure? I am so encouraged by just the amount of information that is coming forward. Um, you know, more whistleblowers coming forward with really quality information on, on what is going on out there. Uh, just the, the number of scientists that are now kind of discussing extraterrestrial life being all but certain to exist and, and basically raising policy issues, which is very exciting for me given my political science background and um, my interest in exopolitics as a new field that eventually is going to be studied in every, every university. So now... Um, scientists are actually asking well what are the policy implications of sending radio signals out there uh, what happens if we uh, contact an aggressive extraterrestrial species that comes here and wants to kind of take us over is it a good idea to do this so you know these are kind of exopolitical questions and it's great that uh, scientists are now raising this and uh, very shortly universities are going to start wanting to have exopolitics uh, studied in a kind of rigorous academic way and so that's that's very exciting for me given uh, my, my background in, in academia and in really wanting to kind of uh, return and and make some kind of contribution to this issue being studied in a kind of rigorous scholarly way that wasn't possible being kind of on the outside of academia with the kind of limited resources that that brings. Give me a scenario, Michael, on how you think disclosure will be announced. Well, um, I, I think that it may work out something along the lines that um, I think there's going to be the kind of two ways in which it'll it'll unfold. One will be the kind of uh, the discovery route, you know, that uh, 
there'll be some announcement that NASA has confirmed the existence of extraterrestrial life on some kind of exomoon or exoplanet or on one of the kind of moons in our solar system or even on Mars itself, that there'll be a confirmation. And so all of a sudden now um, it'll be like, okay, we've discovered extraterrestrial life, uh, whether it's kind of um, intelligent or whether it's, uh, it's kind of microbial, it'll be a discovery. And, and that'll be kind of pitched in the mass media and all the think tanks as a kind of like a bright new dawn, uh, as like a new age for humanity. We've discovered extraterrestrial life. Hooray, it exists out there. And so that's one possible scenario that, um, that we can move down. The other scenario is one of disclosure. That is, we are being visited and have been visited for some time. And there'll be catastrophic disclosure in, in terms of the amount of information that will be coming forward will be kind of like... Um, conclusively proving that governments have been lying about this information. Uh, you know, we have WikiLeaks, we have Edward Snowden uh, with his leaks. It may be, there may be more files that Snowden has, has given to uh, um, Glenn Greenwald and others, or there might be someone else coming forward leaking this information. But, but I think eventually there'll be a kind of catastrophic um, disclosure because of the information being leaked. And, and that is kind of consistent with the, what I'm being told by these different uh, whistleblowers that have, that have come forward, uh, that uh, we've got kind of white hats, people in positions of authority in these secret space programs want the information to come forward. As, as I said, um, Captain Kay says that he's, he's being ordered to release this information. Um, Corey has come forward with his information, and I believe uh, there will be many others coming forward talking about their secret space program service. So I think there'll be, uh, that's another possibility, catastrophic uh, disclosure. Okay, let's go to the phones now. Let us go to Jan in Brooklyn, New York, to get us started. Hi, Jan. Go ahead. Hi, Michael. Hi, George. Hi, Jan. Um, you mentioned something, how they did healings with mind control, the aliens. Have they done any other earth healings, like diseases or growing teeth, maybe? And also the reptilians. I heard human beings... Certain human beings could turn into reptilians, and what do you think of that? And what do you think of the reptilians? Well, um, according to uh, the information I've got from Corey and, and a number of others, um, you know, there, there are these space wars uh, happening at the moment with involving reptilians. Um, as far as healing is concerned, um, the information Corey had to share about this ancient Mayan civilization is that they do have very sophisticated uh, healing technologies, and, and they helped heal him of some deep psychological traumas uh, that were associated with the training that he received. Um, during this, his secret space program service. Um, there, there are also advanced technologies that exist in the secret space program itself. As I, as I said, uh, um, Captain K, I mean, he had his head replaced twice, so he says. And he also talks about uh, kind of holographic healing technologies where basically you, you um, lie in one of these kind of um, tubes and um, there's, there's holographic healing technologies that are used to regenerate um, kind of uh, limbs or to kind of heal all kinds of um, organs. And, of course, teeth would be part of that. So, yeah, the technology is there. It's been there for a long time. It's just all a matter of when it's going to be released. And I think we can all be optimistic that this 
this kind of disclosure is uh, going to be happening uh, very soon. We go to Tim in Racine, Wisconsin now. Hey, Tim, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing, George and Michael? Good, Timmy. This is a great show. I love these kinds of shows. Uh, I guess with all these, uh, I guess my question is, with all these, you know, space, uh, extra people that have these space programs, you know, there's a lot of rich people out there. With the disclosure thing, why can't they just, okay, you, you blast off a rocket with, like, a cameras, you know, like the high-tech stuff they got nowadays. You put it in space. We don't even really need disclosure. Just hook it up to all the computers, you know, the people that want it to check it out. You know what I mean? And then, because, you know, NASA's never going to show you anything that, that pertains with what they do, or they're going to totally deny what you see with your own eyes. So I don't get it. I don't even know why we need disclosure when we have all these people with a lot of means that could make this really easy for everybody. Well, well thank- Seeing is believing to me, you know, bottom line. You know, when you see, you believe. We don't need Hillary Clinton to say, okay, well, whatever. We don't need to go through all that. we got a lot of rich people in this country that could, that could take care of us, but they, they don't do it. Well, That's well, a shame. For, so, for, raising, for raising that, uh, that issue about uh, various civilian programs that uh, are being funded by very wealthy people and entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk, I think SpaceX, um, you know, the fact that it's now regularly uh, sending up rockets. I think it sent up another rocket today. Um, to the no, they, they canceled. They canceled today. They're going to try for tomorrow. Okay, I missed that one. So yeah, but basically okay. you, you, you have uh, SpaceX now establishing uh, a routine of sending uh, rockets to the International Space Station. So I think uh, kind of like if there has been these uh, secret space wars going on and now you have uh, these civilian companies such as SpaceX and others that are, that are going to be uh, flying into low Earth orbit to, to resupply the space station and eventually doing more ambitious things in outer space such as placing satellites into kind of um, you know, greater orbits around the Earth and eventually the Moon and Mars. I, I, I see that the future is one where eventually uh, these civilian programs are going to be just bringing, or they're going to be seeing things and they're going to be able to disclose what they've been seeing. Now, of course, it's always possible that the same kind of national security uh, processes that have been applied to NASA could be used against uh, civilian entities such as Elon Musk uh, and SpaceX. Uh, that's always possible. But but I think um, you know, from what the secret space program uh, whistleblowers are telling us, uh, the, the ETs themselves are actually changing and that there is um, kind of a new force in town, if you like, a new, new big ET, um, good cop, if you like, uh, that's basically here to ensure that uh, the truth is going to be coming out. Okay, next up we go to London, Ontario. Gary's with us on Coast to Coast. Hello, Gary. Thanks for calling. Hi, George. Thanks for taking my call. I've been You're trying welcome. to get hold of you uh, because of some books I've been reading. And one of them is by a girl in North Carolina named Barbara, um, oh, what's her last name? Milanovic. Or no, okay. that's, the, that's another one. Um, Arsiniak, Barbara Marciniak. Mm-hmm. She's a Chandler, and she's channeled Pleiadians, apparently, and enabled her to write this book. And it was just, I had tears running down my face. I was so emotional about it. And they're all good, the the ones that she uh, contacted. And um, the other one is uh, was mentioned by Paul Hellyer when he was on your program. It was called We the Pleiadians. Yes. You remember that? Yeah, And uh, I've read that about three times now, and uh, it's by uh, 
Norma J. Milanovic is the one of the authors, and there's three women altogether. The other is Betty Rice and uh, Cynthia Plotsky. And uh, it was just amazing. And they talk a lot about religion in it, that uh, God is known to them as the great central sun, and he's mm-hmm. the, uh, head, the head of the universe. And Jesus Christ is known as Sananda. And they even have the 23rd Psalm at the back of the book, where they explain every line of the 23rd Psalm. It's just amazing. And I hope it's all true. I don't know for sure, but um, it says on the front of the book that it is a true experience, and that's what Paul Hellyer uh, well, Paul, Paul's the real deal, uh, to be sure, Gary. Uh, your thoughts, Michael? Do you know these uh, people, these authors? Uh, yes, uh, they've been around for uh, a number of decades now. Uh, Barbara Masiniak has been around for close to 20 years. And, um, yes, certainly her books are very inspiring and very much uh, giving people a sense of hope for the future. And I think that's a great thing, that uh, books such as that, that... Uh, allegedly channeled from different ET groups can give people that sense of hope and inspiration. I mean, the, the real question is, well, how much of the information is ac- accurate and genuine? Well, we don't know. I mean, we can guess and we can spend a lot of time guessing, but ultimately we don't know. But but certainly if it helps a person feel positive about the future, positive about extraterrestrials, well, I think that's a good thing. What was the point for you, Michael, when you got involved in all this? What was it? What was the steering point for you? Oh, it was uh, Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project uh, press conference back in uh, May of uh, 2001. It, okay. it answered the questions that I had as an academic in terms of what is going on in terms of um, international conflict. It, it opened up a new layer of uh, understanding what it is that makes international conflict such a pervasive thing and uh, why they're so hard to resolve. So it was really kind of like uh, really part of my professional research at the time. I I was an assistant professor and trying to understand what are the sources of international conflict and actually uh, actually presented um, uh, Stephen Greer's video in a class that I was teaching to graduate students uh, called The Theory of Conflict, Violence and War. Let's go out to Joe in the Bronx in New York. Hey, Joe, go ahead. Hey, George, how are you? Good. I wanted to uh, bring up uh, a point. Uh, When you had Richard C. Hoagland on the show recently, he mentioned Mm -hmm. a head on the moon. Uh, I believe it was a human-looking head in an astronaut's helmet. It looked like a little robot head, yeah. Right. I was wondering if this could have any similarity to uh, Randy Kramer's uh, situation when he claimed he had his head blown off twice. I mean, perhaps this was just a head that was abandoned on the moon? Hmm. Well, well, that's that's quite possible. Um, it, it could be some kind of artificial life form, an android or some synthetic life form that uh, was wearing a helmet, and um, it, its head was blown off in some kind of battle and, and basically um, left there. I mean, the, the thing is the moon is littered with all kinds of debris. There's a lot of evidence of uh, kind of uh, bases up there. And, of, and of course, uh, Randy Kramer um, says that uh, there, there is a kind of um, atmosphere up there as well. So uh, it's possible that there can be people or kind of uh, extraterrestrials kind of walking around on the surface of the moon in certain locations, depending on, on you know, what, whatever artificial environmental conditions are created. So, yeah, I think that there, there is good reason to believe that a lot of the debris we see um, on the moon, on Mars, or, or elsewhere, may not be necessarily 
just from the decay of an, of an ancient civilization, but from current uh, battles or space wars that are continuing to happen, such as uh, what Randy Kramer said uh, he, he participated in or what uh, Corey is saying uh, he witnessed while he was uh, working with different space programs. Michael, do you think that uh, with ancient technology, humankind probably got to the moon a long, long time ago? Well, definitely. I, I think, um, and this is really where um, Corey's testimony is, is so vital, because we have a lot of ancient references. Uh, we have the Vedic uh, texts talking about uh, these flying cities. The Vimanas uh, and things exactly, like that. Exactly, the, 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 the Vimanas, and, and you have uh, the ancient Sumerian cuneiform texts, and we have the, that great set of uh, glyphs in the Abydos temple showing these advanced uh, technologies, some of them looking like spaceships. So all of that was very suggestive of either extraterrestrials with their technologies visiting the Earth or that civilizations on Earth developed these technologies. Well, now, according to what Corey has revealed, uh, we can, with some confidence now, conclude that a lot of these technologies were indigenous to the Earth, that they were developed here by ancient civilizations, and that these civilizations um, did not completely disappear, um, that these civilizations basically either went off-planet off or underground and continued to operate. And, um, and according to Corey, there are five to seven secret space programs that belong to these ancient Earth-based civilizations. So the ancient Atlanteans and the ancient Greeks and the Sumerians and the Mayans, um, they may not be extinct as a civilization or as a people. They, can, they may well be flying around in these secret space programs having meetings, as uh, Corey is claiming. They could be. Michael, stay with us. We're coming back with final phone calls in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back. Final segment here with Michael Sala, and we'll take your calls. Michael, what will history say about the UFO situation on this planet 50 years from now? I think people are going to look back at this as a very dark chapter, chapter in human history, a, a time when uh, really fundamentally important issues and technologies that would benefit humanity were systematically kept from the mass population and used exclusively by an elite group for their own benefits and that this was used in irresponsible ways and led to unnecessary bloodshed, not, not only on, on planet Earth, but also um, off, off planet as well. And I, I think the, the way in which the political leaderships of different nations have been manipulated and, of course, uh, assassinations. Uh, I think President Kennedy is, is one of, the, one of the, the biggest casualties of the UFO secrecy. Uh, I think uh, he, he genuinely did try to get to the truth, and uh, he paid the ultimate price, as, as well as uh, his mentor, who was uh, James Forrestal, who was the first man to basically um, introduce Kennedy to uh, the, the, the top military brass um, touching on some of the issues uh, concerning um, UFOs, and um, Kennedy was actually there in Germany uh, witnessing the start of Project Paperclip, which, of course, as many people know, is when a, a lot of the advanced Nazi technologies were brought to the United States. So he, he's a man that, that knew a lot of secrets and uh, paid the ultimate price for trying to get those secrets revealed or disclosed to the American population. 
I take it you will not be in shock if and when disclosure happens. No, it's something in a way I've been prepared for all my life. I, I, I guess when I look back, I, I think as uh, as a youngster, I, I always believed extraterrestrial life was real and was kind of looking forward to the day when they would arrive. But little did I know and, until I watched uh, Stephen Greer's uh, Disclosure Project that they had arrived, that they were here, and, but we were not being told the truth. And so that kind of like really changed my life um, because uh, it meant that uh, something that I, I kind of felt at a deep intuitive level to be true was now being covered up. And so that really changed uh, my kind of uh, research interests and I've uh, been doing this um, ever since uh, that uh, video was released by Stephen Greer back in 2001. Okay, let's go to the final calls. First-time caller, Ted, in Lansing, Michigan. Hey, Ted, go ahead, sir. Hello, George, thank, and guests. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Um, George, I am uh, one of the real deals. Um, when I was six years old, um, I had contact, and I had that night a chip implanted in my right lower neck. This happened in upstate New York. There was a lot of people that had claimed that this had happened and it was coverage on this back then. This was in the 60s that this happened. Mm -hmm. I have been trying my entire life to find somebody that will at least look into this with me. I've contacted various organizations such as MUFON and nobody's interested. And I have proof and um, I've been under hypnosis. Um, I have a psychologist that I've seen for a number of years. His name is Dr. Doug Rubin. He's an author of 73 books. Very fantastic man. Made him watch the movie Fourth Kind and say, these things really happen, Dr. Rubin. And I, I, I'm actual proof. I mean, I would be able to um, talk to somebody if there's somebody out there that would just listen to my story and see the proof I had. There was even an animal that was killed the night that this happened, and it was an animal that was not native to the upstate New York area. I had never seen anything like it before. I woke up my dad in the huh. morning, and I showed it to him. Overnight, when this thing was killed, I heard like a laser shot that killed this animal. It already had maggots on it the next night, next morning, and it had been pulled that night. It didn't make any sense. Well, Michael, um, since uh, Dr. Roger Lear is no longer with us, and he would have been perfect for Ted, has anybody picked up that? Not as far as I know. Um, there are still people that are, of course, doing a lot of research and abductees, uh, but I don't think there's anyone like Roger Lear basically doing the work with uh, implants. He would have been perfect for this. Exactly. Perfect. Ted, let me ask you, is the implant still in your neck? Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to put you on hold at least and uh, get your information to Tom. Uh, because somewhere, someplace, Michael, the new Roger Lear will appear, don't you think? Oh, there has to be someone who's interested in this phenomenon who has those kinds of surgical skills to basically remove those kinds of implants and to, to study them. I think uh, Stephen Greer has worked with a number of physicians. Uh, that I know the, the Atacama... Uh, case uh, where there, there were people doing the kind of uh, forensic analysis on that uh, small creature that they found. Uh, so I think, uh, and of course, uh, Stephen Greer is uh, is a 
medical surgeon himself, so he would probably have a better idea on who could do this kind of work. You're working on a UFO connection documentary tied into the JFK assassination, aren't you? That's right, yeah. I started a Kickstarter campaign to try and get this documentary going. Um, basically, it needs a lot of funds uh, because there's a lot of historical uh, archive footage that I, I need to get to be able to do this documentary, especially concerning uh, uh, James Forrestal and... Uh, Kennedy and uh, the what was happening in Nazi Germany at the end of the war when there were a lot of these secret technologies that the Nazis had been working on um, that these were being repatriated under Project Paperclip and uh, and Kennedy was there. I mean this is the thing that a lot of Kennedy assassination researchers don't appreciate. They, they, they focus on events that happened during his presidency and kind of ignore anything that happened during his uh, wartime experience as, as, any, as being relevant in any way to what happened to his assassination. So I, I think my planned documentary is, is going to really open up uh, a lot of people's minds to the possibility that things that Kennedy experienced during his uh, wartime service and in Nazi Germany as a guest with, uh, of James Forrestal, who was the Secretary of the Navy, really can give uh, a new layer of understanding to the Kennedy assassination. And, and of course, uh, Forrestal went on to be the Secretary of Defense and, of course, met that untimely death, which uh, a number of sources have actually said was because he was telling too many people about uh, the UFO issue. And, and one of the one of these uh, friends, one of the people he was talking to at the time, was uh, John F. Kennedy, who was a congressman at the time. So there's a story to be told there, and I, and I hope to be able to get the funds so I can put together a really powerful documentary to show what it is. So if people want to learn more about it, it's at the website. And um, I really look forward to any support people can give. Okay, and we've got that link for you at coasttocoastam.com. Ray in Niles, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thanks for holding. Go ahead. Hi, George and Michael. I want to point out a potential problem for the Roman Catholic Church that's often overlooked. Now, the, the Catholics can say, yes, there's no contradiction with the existence of aliens because God created other creatures. But the problem isn't with the existence of the aliens. It's with their belief system. Being very advanced, they're going to carry a lot of prestige. Now, let's run through the possibilities. Do the aliens believe in God? If not, the problem is obvious. But let's suppose they do believe in God. There's still a potential problem. That God has to be identical with the Christian God, which is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, has to incarnate on Earth and be resurrected. What is the pro probability that their view is going to be identical with that of the Catholics. And let's say let's say it is identical, which is, has, I think, a low probability, but let's go that way. Well, then all the Protestants are going to be upset. And if they don't believe in anything that resembles Christianity, then uh, not only the Christians are going to be upset, Muslims are going to be upset, Buddhists are going to be upset. I mean, there there is a humongous PR problem facing the Church concerning the belief system. And even if a particular alien group agreed with the Catholics completely, which is possible, but improbable, I think. If there's more than one species of alien, do they agree among themselves? I see a disastrous, uh, humongous PR problem with all the religions uh, under that, just because of the belief system, or plural, belief systems of the aliens, which hmm. carry a lot of prestige among the public, and I'd like uh, Michael's comments on that. Sure. Good observation, right? All right.
Thank you. Michael, go ahead. Sure. Well, in October 27, uh, Pope Francis made a statement uh, basically where he talked about the role of uh, evolution uh, and how that is consistent with the um, belief uh, in, in God and the, the Creator and the plan of the Creator. And basically he, he was making the argument that uh, you can see God's hand or God's purpose through the evolutionary process. And, and of course, uh, he's making this statement to show that uh, science and religion are perfectly compatible. So I think uh, in kind of extrapolating to the bigger question of extraterrestrial life, I think the Catholic Church is very flexible in terms of being able to make its theology fit with whatever belief system that is compatible with science that is out there. So at the moment, the, the kind of leading scientific theory uh, in terms of um, uh, the universe is, is one of uh, evolution. And so uh, he, through his statement, he basically was able to show that uh, looking at the evolutionary process, we can still see God's purpose acting through that. And he basically was, was referring to extraterrestrials um, as, uh, as beings of the universe, using that kind of um, euphemism, and saying that th they can play a role in this. And I think that's a very important uh, step in terms of uh, a future disclosure, because if it becomes known that you know, what uh, Zechariah Sitchin said or wrote about is true, that the Anunnaki actually played a hand in the bioengineering mm -hmm. of, of human humanity. Um, a lot of people are going to be really shocked by that. Well, um, according to the Pope's statement, you know, that'll be fine, that the Anunnaki, even if they genetically created uh, humanity, they are just uh, still the kind of middleman in fulfilling God's purpose. So there still can be God even in uh, a god of humanity, uh, overseeing the kind of uh, evolution or genesis of the human spirit, even though you might have a middleman playing a role, such as the Anunnaki. Let's go to Walter now in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Walter, thanks for calling. Let's get you in here. Thanks for letting me in. Sure thing. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think I'm still the only fellow that I've heard of uh, that uh, saw a UFO leave the Earth and go into outer space. And, what, uh, what happened? Well, uh, I was on. I was new in the army, in World War II, and uh, we'd driven all day and wound up in a forest in uh, Louisiana. And I was put on uh, guard duty at midnight. And you got to remember the UFOs had never been uh, heard of at that time. Right. And so I was on guard duty. I'm perfectly black night. And a white light comes along, flying horizontally from my right to my left, and all of a sudden it took off at a 45-degree angle and corkscrewed to the right, to the right, round and round and round into the sky until it was completely disappeared. Wow. And that probably took 10 or 12 minutes. And that thing was really hauling butt. I tell you, Walter, we didn't have a plane like that, that's for sure. Those... Uh kinds of sightings, Michael, are just, uh, to me, they're exciting. Oh, they, they are really very uh, important because uh, when we look at cases like uh, Milton Torres, who was uh, an mm -hmm. Air Force, a U.S. Air Force pilot stationed over in England, I believe it was in 1957 when his jet was scrambled along with an, uh, another one to basically intercept a cigar-shaped UFO, and he basically locked all his missiles on this uh, UFO and was told to fire the missiles. 
And but uh, I think uh, what happened was that the radar lock, just as he as he achieved the radar lock, the UFO disappeared. So they have technologies where they can, you know, virtually instantaneously kind of transport themselves well away from any kind of uh, danger presented by um, Earth technologies or, or military technologies such as missiles. Um, and another and another case was uh, STS-48, which was the, the space shuttle showing footage of a uh, UFO evading what appeared to be a kind of... Uh, um, it was a, like a missile attack, did it? Yeah, something like that. that was, that's an amazing piece of footage. Yeah, so, I mean, that just shows you that's another case of uh, these UFOs having incredible maneuverability and ability to be able to evade um, even sophisticated technologies like uh, directed energy weapons, let alone um, kind of older missiles that might be fired by a plane. So, yeah, definitely uh, we need to be open to really mind-boggling technologies that exist out there. So, Michael, after the uh, Kickstarter campaign, what else is on your plate? Well, um, I'm going to be doing a, a conference at Mount Shasta um, uh, that's being organized uh, that uh, is going to be having a number of kind of uh, um, galactic diplomacy speakers, people talking about contact with extraterrestrials. So I'll be talking about um, my experiences in terms of uh, citizen diplomacy and how that can help in terms of taking contact further. And, and I think that truly is uh, where we are at as uh, in terms of private citizens because most people ask the question, what can I do as a private citizen? Well, you can learn about citizen diplomacy and what it means for you as a private individual to maybe make contact with extraterrestrial beings and to make that something that is significant and helpful for humanity waking up. Exciting times ahead, Michael. I want to thank you for being on the program. Always a pleasure. Dr. Michael Sala, his website, exopolitics.org, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. What the... Uh, he knows his subject. He sure does. For Nathan Staten, Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lux Lonehood, Sean Laudasor, Stephanie Smith, Chris Boros, and George Knapp. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.